We have some strangers back here. At least they're stranger than most. Jerry and Judy Cole, I see them back. Is anyone else from our... Oh, yeah. Rex, hello. Vivian, good to see you. So, um, th this, uh, bringing our series to a close on, um, on the church... I thought it would be good to, um, to look at this important topic of spiritual gifts. And we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 12, which is a passage we have referred to several times throughout this series, especially verses 12 and 13. But um, the, some of the verses around that we have not um, looked at closely, so we want to do that today. hard to think about the life of the church and how we're supposed to uh, work and serve and live and do ministry together without thinking of this vital topic of spiritual gifts and, and how God uses those among us. 1 Corinthians 12, first of all we're going to see how spiritual gifts uh, demonstrate unity in diversity. Uh, and that theme is carried out through, through the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12. Let's, uh, we'll start in at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Uh, there are different kinds of ministries, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And you can see in that, uh, those three verses, uh, of course, the Trinity being mentioned, it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Uh, we see that uh, we, we worship one God. We worship, we are a monotheistic religion. The Jews were monotheistic, but we understand that, that monotheistic God, that one God to be of three members or three persons and those three persons are in total agreement and in total unity and that's what these verses are saying even though there are different kinds of gifts different kinds of ministries different kinds of activities the spirit the lord and god the father are working all those things in unity together so we see the triunity of god the one god three persons in this kind of uh, foreshadows what Paul is going to say later in this chapter that we are one body as a body of believers the bride of Christ but many members and so there the, the ideal is for the many members to work in such unity that it would reflect the trinity that is uh, totally united in this area as in all areas so there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit, And we're going to look at how the Spirit gives those gifts in a moment. Different kinds of ministries, but the same Lord. And different kinds of activities, but the same God. There is a unity in the Trinity. There's unity in the use of these gifts. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all or for the common good. The, the manifestation, the, 
the revealing, the outpouring of the Spirit is given to each one. So each one who is a believer has the Holy Spirit and in fact has at least a gift from the Spirit as we will see. But the purpose of that, the use of it is for everyone else in the body. It's for the profit of all. It's for the common good. The use of the... God doesn't, didn't give you a gift or gifts for you to just edify yourself or to use them on or for yourself. He gave it to you to give away. He gave it to you to use up on other people. Uh, uh, we see the unity of the source in verses 8 through 11. And as we read these next few verses, so it's a list of spiritual gifts. We'll get to the gifts themselves in a few moments. But notice, first of all, especially in this section, the source of the spiritual gifts. Verses 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the source of them all is the one and the same spirit. He's the one who gives each of these gifts. He works all these things. Not only does he give the gifts, but he works the gift through the recipient of the gift. He works all these things. And he distributes, he, he parcels out, he distributes to each one. So again, everyone has at least a spiritual gift to each one individually. So he thinks of you as, as an individual, how he has made you, how he, he plans to use you in the church, how he plans to use you to reach others. He, he has a purpose and a plan for you specifically with your DNA individually and it is notice as he wills it's not something that we pray for or work for or try to attain on our own but as we are born again and uh, the holy spirit takes up residence within us he gifts us with the spiritual gift or gifts as he wills the choice is up to him and we can be sure that he has chosen more wisely for ourselves than we would have chosen for ourselves. Um, then, then this passage goes into the unity of the body, which we have spent some time looking at, so we'll just read over this morning, verses 12 through 27. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. 
So how should we look at each other in this body is what Paul is now going to say. As being different members, having different gifts and callings. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And that's a very parallel verse to verse 11. God has set in the body, individually, each one, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And so as we think about spiritual gifts, we rejoice in the fact that we are different. We are made different. We are given different gifts and that's that way on purpose we rejoice that God has in his wisdom set them as he has pleased and we see again the unity of God's will in the last few verses verse 28 and following <clears throat> and God has appointed these in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers after that miracles then gifts of healings helps administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Of course, the expected answer to all those questions is no. Not everyone has a particular gift, that particular gift. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is the chapter that follows, which is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, so that, this shows us the unity of diversity in the spiritual gifts. There are a wide range of gifts, and they're given for the purpose of the unity of the body. Now, I want to change to thinking about categories of gifts. Uh, we could just skip right to supernatural gifts given by the Holy Spirit, but I think that would leave out something that God has uh, purposely worked into us as well. And I don't want to ignore uh, these legitimate gifts either. That is, there are natural abilities, gifts, and aptitudes that we have. I mean natural, 
compared to supernatural. But you have a natural gift and ability and aptitude. You, uh, even within a family, might tell siblings have different aptitudes and, and gifts and abilities, even though they're, they grew up in the same family. And if you, uh, if I look at our uh, board, I can see different gifts and abilities that, that these men have brought to it. And God knew how he was going to use you. He, your name was written down in the Lamb's book of life before the first day came to pass. So it's not like God was waiting for you to be born and, and then think, gee, how should I make Jim? What does he need in his DNA for me to use him? But God, who is uh, omniscient, knew how to make you and your particular person your DNA to be you for how he is going to use you. And that is no less of God than a spiritual gift that he gives you. Sometimes the spiritual gift becomes more obvious to people, but you're, don't overlook the natural abilities that are given by God. He has enabled you to to perhaps uh, have a real knack for numbers and be good in math and uh, uh, maybe that's going to be the, the field of study that you, you go into and you would be good at helping us with a budget or something. Um, or perhaps God has given you uh, some natural gifting in the area of music. Well, there's not a spiritual gift of piano player right I, we don't see that as a spiritual gift and yet that is a that is a way a person can minister really to this body in our worship and so don't overlook those kinds of things that God has given you how has he made you individually and then there are um, acquired abilities often this goes along with natural your natural bent because of how God has made you Maybe you want to major in music or major in accounting or the, the way that God is working in your life and leading you for what kind of training you're going to have and abilities you're going to have because of how he's going to use you to bless other people. Uh, so don't discount those things. Ask God, why, why did you make me thus? What do you have in mind for me? But now, the rest of our time, we want to spend on supernatural abilities, and that is spiritual gifts. What are the gifts that, that the Holy Spirit bestows on His people? We can divide those uh, categories of gifts into three main uh, parts. Speaking gifts, serving gifts, and sign gifts. Now, speaking gifts would, and I'll get to these individual ones, explain a little bit more in a moment, but just to give you an example of a speaking gift would be the gift of prophecy, or the gift of teaching, or the gift of an evangelist, or um, a, a gift that many of you have, the gift of gab. <laughs> Those are speaking gifts. Um, but there are, then there are service gifts. That would be like um, helps 
administrations, serving. Uh, those would be serving gifts. And we'll talk about those a little bit in a moment. Then there are sign gifts, gifts that were given particularly as a sign to authenticate the new revelation of the New Testament as it was being given. Sign gifts would be gifts like tongues and the interpretation of tongues, the, the gifts of healings. Those things would be sign gifts. Now, while we're on the, um, the topic of sign gifts, I want to look at a few passages of Scripture with you. In 1 Corinthians, let's go back to chapter 1. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. See, I, I believe that the sign gifts were purposefully given to the church as it was being founded, started, to, especially to authenticate the new revelation that was coming out from the apostles and the prophets. And that once, those, once that revelation was completed, or by the time it was being done, the need for those sign gifts was taken away. So it was valid for a season, for a while, for a number of years actually, until uh, as the revelation of the New Testament was being completed. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. For where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So now notice from verse 18 through uh, 21, the focus is on the message preached, particularly the gospel message. Then verse 22, for the Jews request a sign. The message to them isn't enough on its own. The Jews request a sign. Uh, a number of times in Christ's own ministry, they asked him, what sign will you give us? What sign are you going to show us? The Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To, to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the Jews uh, require a sign. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14, verses 20 through 22. And this whole chapter is talking about the, the gifts of tongues and prophecy and how they should be uh, used in the church. I just want to point out a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. 
However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law is, it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. So this is a prophecy from Isaiah. In the end times, I'm, one of these days I'm going to talk to this nation of Israel with tongues of other lips. Verse 22, here's a conclusion of that. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. And uh, that's one of the main reasons that they're called a, a, a sign gift. They, their purpose was not uh, a service gift or a building up of the body gift. Uh, Paul says earlier that tongues don't build up the body. Prophecy builds up the body, but not tongues. Tongues are for a sign. And not to those who believe, that is not something that is ministered within the church body to build up the body, not to those who believe, but to, those, to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So tongues are for a sign to unbelievers. Now go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Uh, the writer of Hebrews here is talking about revelation, the things which we have heard. Talking about revelation, we'll look at verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty... How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, bearing witness to the word that was spoken through Christ and then through the apostles and, and others who took the gospel. God bearing witness to their message both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So the purpose of those gifts were to be a sign of the new revelation. Now, we don't have new revelation coming in today since the, since the close of the New Testament canon. And so there, the need for authenticating signs of new revelation has ceased to exist since the time of the early church. And therefore, I, I believe uh, uh, other passages as well teach that the sign gifts were real, but were only in operation for a time. Now, it's not that God couldn't do this again if he wanted to. Uh, in the end times, uh, I suppose... If he desired to, he could. But just going on the, 
the basis of what scripture we have and what is normative to be expected in the church, I believe the sign gifts are, are past. They have ceased. So, um, now I want to go through the, the list of spiritual gifts. We read those uh, rather quickly going through 1 Corinthians uh, 12. And 1 Corinthians 12 has the, the longest list of spiritual gifts. Uh, one of the interesting things about that is 1 Corinthians is the first of these four books that, that contain lists of spiritual gifts. It was the first one written. And it's possible that some of the gifts listed there, by the time you get to 1 Peter 4, for instance, are no longer in existence, and that's why they're not mentioned. But, <clears throat> but also, 1 Corinthians 12 is uh, more directly on the topic of spiritual gifts, so we would expect more gifts to be listed there. So let's uh, just briefly go through what these gifts are. We have... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, this is starting at, at verse 8. Um, the, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. First of all, notice something in common about them. These were evidently speaking gifts. It wasn't just that someone was wise or that someone knew something. But the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, the, uh, the speaking forth, the, the giving of these um, the, you know the, the biblical view of what wisdom is is quite a bit different I would say than, than our common conception in our culture of what a wise person would be uh, we tend to think a wise person is someone who's maybe savvy um, has got it all together knows a lot of stuff and um, can really pull something off but that's not the biblical view of wisdom. Look at uh, James 3.17. If you're in Hebrews, it's the very next book. James 3, verse 17. <clears throat> this is what wisdom looks like the, the wisdom that God's talking about if someone has a, a gift of the word of wisdom it would be in line with this but the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure uh, related to the word holy then peaceable gentle willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's what wisdom looks like. And so if someone has the, had the gift of the word of wisdom, it would certainly look like this. Um, but probably in addition to looking like this, the idea of wisdom in the, in the Bible, especially in the, in the Old Testament, if you read the book of Proverbs, uh, had to do with skill for living. That is to understand God's word and to be able to put it into right practice. Now I believe James 3.17 is describing that kind of a person who would understand the word of God and be able to live it out. So a person who had the gift of a word of wisdom would be someone who would be able to explain to you 
here's how to live out the word of God in this way not only this is what it means but here's how to live it out uh, the word of knowledge would be similar to that the, the word of um, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 2 And it was in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul mentioned the word of knowledge. Now in 1 Corinthians 13, um, verse 2, he says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And that's one phrase together, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, probably meant to be taken together. This kind of a person would be able to um, not only read the Bible and understand it, but be able to put it together. Uh, have, have knowledge in that sense to be able to truly understand what the word uh, 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 the ability to understand and put together truth then there's the gift of faith that might seem like, a, like an odd one to you uh, don't we all have faith well it's true as uh, Romans 12 3 says God has dealt to each one a, a measure of faith we have the, uh, a gift of faith from God. He gives us the ability to believe. But there are certain people that God gives a supernatural ability to have faith. I mean, they can, they can really live by faith. They, they are such an example to us in the body because of their ability to walk in faith. And that they have, not because they're just super spiritual or something, but because God has gifted them in that way, perhaps to serve as an example for the rest of us and to be an encouragement to us, to have the gift of faith. Then there's uh, the gifts of healings. Now, notice that this is always in the plural. Uh, gifts of healing. So, uh, it may be that one person could heal a certain kind of Malady, another person, another kind of malady, or, uh, uh, or maybe they uh, combine them in some way, but it's interesting that it was the gifts, plural, of healings, plural. And this is one of those sign gifts that was very uh, useful in the early church, especially. Seems to have uh, died out near the end of the Revelation. We, we know that um, uh, Paul left a companion of his in a and Miletus sick uh, he evidently couldn't heal him even though he had healed others earlier in his ministry uh, he wrote to Timothy take a little wine for your stomach's sake because he had some kind of a malady instead of, of healing him or sending someone to heal him so it looks like it, that gift died out toward the end of the uh, first century uh, the working of miracles uh, we read in First uh, Corinthians 14 as Paul is on his uh, first missionary journey and God confirmed through miracles that he did um, the message that he was bringing uh, the gift of prophecy look at 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 through 4 first of all pursue love 
And notice how 1 Corinthians 12 ends, I will show you a more excellent way. Then as I said, we have this love chapter 13, and then 14 begins, pursue love. As if Paul cannot state that enough. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And I think this is probably uh, what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the the greater gifts or the best gifts, uh, probably chief being uh, prophecy. If, If you were to seek something or ask God for something, Now remember, as I said earlier, the Holy Spirit divides to people individually as he wills. So it's it's up to the Holy Spirit whether he does this or not. But the gift of prophecy seems to have been um, a kind of a broad um, gift. We think of prophecy as being foretelling the future, future, future foretellers. But it wasn't always that. Even Old Testament prophets were just were giving the word of God. Thus says the Lord is what they said about 300 times in the Old Testament. This is what God says. And it wasn't always future things. It was this is what you're doing. This is what you should be doing and, and so forth. Uh, prophecy can, can be foretelling. And there are certainly a number of uh, great prophecies of things to come. But it's also, uh, and perhaps the most common use, is foretelling. Uh, I mean, forthtelling. Telling people, this is what God says. Uh, saying, this, this is a word from the Lord. Um, that would have been especially helpful in the early church. Uh, they didn't have printing presses. Uh, getting the word around was a harder thing. And so you needed people who could go out and speak the word. This is what the Lord says. Not only foretelling, but forthtelling. Um, and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he who prophesies speaks edification. That is, he speaks words that it, that's going to build up the body and exhortation and comfort to men. Um, then we have discerning spirits um, in, in 1 John 4.1 we're told um, test the spirits to see whether they are of God for not every spirit that has come into the world is of God and this is the way we know whether spirit is of God if they say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh in 1 John especially in chapter 4, the telling point is what someone said about Christ. And if, a, if the spirit of the Antichrist was to deny the humanity or the deity of Christ, either one. The spirit of truth would, would give both of them. So there's a discerning of spirits. But I, I also believe that you could understand this to mean spiritual discernment. Um, 
discerning spirits would be spiritual, having spiritual discernment. And certain people have the ability to do this. Um, uh, tongues, we've talked about um, a little bit already in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. And that would be a language not previously known by the person who's speaking in tongues. And probably the greatest example of that would be the day of Pentecost when um, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the, on the apostles there and they all started talking in, in tongues, giving the gospel and people from different parts of the world said, what's going on? We hear them speaking in our own language. So it was a, a real known language. It just wasn't known to the person who, who was speaking in the tongues, but they were, it was a sign of the, this revelation of, the, of Christ that was being given. So tongues is a, a language not previously known. There's a need for interpretation of tongues. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 uh, stipulates that in a service, if someone gets up to speak in tongues, there has to be someone present who has the gift of interpretation of tongues uh, for that person to speak. Because no sense of them speaking about someone giving, this is what it means. Um, then there's the, the gift of um, apostles, which at the beginning referred to the office of an apostle, the original uh, disciples who became apostles. But it, it gained a broader understanding as time went on. For instance, Paul himself was an apostle, and Barnabas was considered an apostle. And the word apostle just means one sent forth. Someone who is sent forth. And uh, perhaps it was used in a more broad sense of a missionary. A missionary is one who sent forth with the message of Christ. They are in that sense apostle. Not that they are like the apostles of, of Christ, the original 12 and the 11 who stayed true to him. But that they are like uh, that office in that they... They take forth the word of God. They are ones who are sent forth. Uh, then there's the office of uh, teachers. And uh, look here at, uh, for this one, James 3, 1 and 2. Again, the book just after Hebrews. James chapter 3. <clears throat> My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. And then James goes into the problem of the tongue and how it can set the world on fire in a, in a negative way. But James is saying, let not many of you become teachers. I think perhaps we, we may take this gift and this calling a bit too lightly. 
Um, there, there should be few teachers among you. Let not many of you do that because you are going to receive a stricter judgment for teaching. Uh, because the person who is teaching the word of God is handling God's very words. The truth, which is, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a fire and a hammer. This is life and truth. And for a mere mortal to take up this word and presume to teach it to others is a scary thing. And God says, you know, you who do that, I am going to judge you stricter than others. I'm going to hold you to a higher standard. You are going to answer for how you teach this. So when you are called to teach, whether it's Awanas or Vacation Bible School or Children's Church or ABF or from this pulpit, tremble when you take up the word. Don't take lightly teaching a few girls at Awana. That, that is, you are handling the word of God. Teaching is a scary thing. Now, I probably not, have not done very much good for our recruiting. <laughs> and my, my goal is not to dissuade you from this gift or any other gift or, or ministry in the body, just that for, for all these, we should take seriously the calling with which God has called us. The, the gift of helps, the next one. And this unassuming little word, helps, in 1 Corinthians 12, is a five syllable compound word in Greek that means literally to take the burden off someone and put it on yourself that's, that's the gift of helps you, you take off someone else's burden and you put it on yourself this is, this is not just helping someone get their coat off or that's a good thing to do that's a um, do those kinds of things hold the door for each other help each other carry things well, that's good but the gift of helps look for ways that you can relieve others of their burden take the burden off others put it on yourself that's the gift of helps I, I think many of you have that gift I think it's one of those gifts that God gives liberally in the church administrations this comes from a word that means to, to steer, as in a steering wheel, or to pilot like a, a ship. Um, administrations, the idea is to, to give direction to, it's, it's to keep things on course, uh, uh, to lead in that kind of a way, to steer things rightly. Uh, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, because we're running out of time, we won't look at these verses, but... Uh, some of these are repeated uh, prophecy then the, the gift of serving 
uh, actually shows up a, a couple of times. We have it here and, and then in 1 Peter 4, uh, serving as one of those other broader gifts. It's from the word diakonia, deacon. It's, the idea is a lowly service. You're being willing to serve other people. To, you're being willing to put others in front of yourself, serving. Again, uh, teaching again, exhortation. Um, that, that word is used both of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus. That is, you know, the, Jesus promised the, the comforter would come, the paraclete. That's, that, that's what exhortation is. One called alongside the help. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And so the gift of exhortation is in that sense of coming alongside, comforting others. But it's also used of uh, Jesus in uh, 1 John 2, 1. We know that if anyone sins, he, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate is this word for exhortation. It's one who comes alongside to help. And so this word exhortation is used two ways in the New Testament. In one sense, it, it is to persuade a, be, a believer to turn from sin. You are exhorting them. Please turn from the, the error of your ways. You are exhorting them, perhaps even warning them. But it's also used in a more positive sense of encouraging someone. If you, someone's uh, walking in the faith and you come alongside and you encourage them, that's great, keep doing that, uh, keep up the faith. That's also an encouragement and exhortation. So um, I, I know a number of you have this gift of, you might call it the gift of encouragement, but it's broader than that. It uh, can also be warning. The gift of giving. Uh, some of you love to give and look for opportunities to give. The gift of leadership, which means li literally to stand in front of. So it's the, someone who would stand in front of others. Um, interesting that this word for leadership is never used in uh, biblical times of political leaders or military leaders. It's only used of, it's like a, of a father who leads his home or um, a group of men who lead the church that kind of leadership uh, it's similar to a shepherd standing in front of his sheep and leading them guiding them showing them the way uh, the gift of of mercy showing mercy to others um, so that's all we're going to look at of, of that today we'll come back to 1 Peter 4 7 in a moment but uh, uh, page number 2 we'll go over this a bit more quickly So, what if I don't have the gift of, and you can fill in that blank. What if I don't have the gift of giving, for instance? What if I don't have the gift of evangelism? Then, how, how, how should I view that? Do I just not do those things? Well, what's interesting is, look at the gifts that are given to some, but the commandments that are given to all. Uh, some are given the gifts of ministering or serving, but we're all called to serve one another in love in Galatians 5. Some have the gift of exhortation, but Hebrews 10 says we are all to exhort one another. Some have the gift of giving, but we're all called to give cheerfully. Some have the gift of mercy, but we are all called to be merciful and tender-hearted towards each other. Some have the gift of faith, but we're all called to walk by faith and not by sight. 
and um, some have the gift of evangelism but we're all called to be witnesses to Christ some have the gift of discerning spirits but we're all called to test spirits and so forth but what if I don't know my gift what if, I, what if I don't know which on this list is mine? Then, then what do I do? Have I, am I stymied? Can I just not serve or, or what? If you don't know your gift, then here's some suggestions. First of all, pray about this and think about this. How has God formed you? Because the way God has made you was on purpose. And how he wants to use you will be in line with that. How has God formed you? Secondly, what kind of service do you enjoy doing? It's a very key question. I have, in the last 30 years, looked at a number of spiritual gifts, inventories, tests to help you find out. I came across this one just last month when I was in Guam. The church, uh, Sherry and I were attending there. They were getting ready to do this, I think, the week after we left. And this was uh, understanding your spiritual gifts. And so they had this spiritual gifts test in it. And you take the test, and, and it tells you what your gift is after you take the test. But these tests are always the same. They have not changed in 30 years. And let me just read you, okay? Here's a few questions. Uh, question and you answer you, you grade these one through five one being the lowest five being the highest of how you would grade yourself on this number one I am always looking for practical ways to help one through five is that true of you if you scored five on there guess what your spiritual gift is helps or maybe service okay two I enjoy public speaking and teaching could be teaching um, I find it easy to motivate people to do the right thing exhortation or encouragement um, I'm a charge person and can usually bring order out of chaos I want to meet them <laughs> I am very sensitive to the emotional state of others mercy um, and then it repeats itself um, uh, when people are in my home, I like to wait on them hand and foot, hospitality or service. Um, people tell me that I help them understand things better, teaching. Um, and, and so basically what, what these questionnaires do is they get you to think about what you like to do and what you don't like to do. The end result being that the way God made you, he made you to, so that your, you and your gift will match. Now, there are times, it is true, the gift is something other than what you would have thought of yourself. And for me, for instance, I would have never thought I would be a public speaker or a teacher. I, when God called me to him, I was an introvert. I didn't even like people, didn't want to talk in front of them, had no desire at all. Could not picture myself teaching, but know that this is of God because I, I know I could never have done it myself and every week I know and, and acknowledge to God Lord it's only by your grace and strength ability so God might gift you in some way that is truly super 
against your nature. But often it, it kind of goes together with how God's made you. Another thing to, to ask is, ask other people what they see in you. Now this is not just fishing for compliments or something, but you want people to be honest with you. What, do you notice something in me that, how can I serve the body? What do you see in me that might enable me to serve the body? That maybe I could um, hone or ask God to help develop more my sensitivity toward that. Uh, a be here is be active where you are and serve where you can. Now, I give you the example of Philip, who was, uh, who, who was called to be, first of all, a deacon, then he became uh, a missionary, and that by the end of Acts, uh, Paul says we went to Philip the evangelist home. And by, by then, he's, he's the evangelist, and it became evident he had the gift of evangelism. And then Joseph, who was called by another name, Barnabas. Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And whenever you see Barnabas, he's encouraging people. He had the gift of encouragement, exhortation. And there's some passage that's there through Acts that you can see that in. But the idea is to serve where you can, wherever you are, do what you can. Plug in somewhere and trust that God will guide you through that. Uh, see is to seek to in love. And one last passage, uh, the book after James is 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter 4. <clears throat> what, whatever we are doing, we ought to seek to do it in love. Why, why Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 13, love between those chapters on spiritual giftedness. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, above all things, don't be so concerned about what your gift is and above all things, have fervent love for one another. If you love the body, you love the church, you love your brothers and sisters, you will find ways to minister to them. As uh, a number of you are discovering or will be discovering in this book, The Trellis and the Vine, uh, there are ways of ministering to each other the word of God that you may never have thought about, never realize that you do that. But the key to it is love. If you don't love each other, you're very well. I, I think, by the way, one points of this church family. I think there's a uh, sense of love and community here. I just want to encourage you to, uh, to grow that love, to enhance it, to, to express that love. Okay, so above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love cover, will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, now some take this to mean that hospitality, and that's 
Because I, I think I, people through the years who have this uh, as a gift, hospitality, um, but I'm not sure that's how Peter meant it here. But now he gets to spiritual gifts in verse 10. But as each one of you has received a gift, a, a charisma is the word from the Greek word grace, charis, charisma. As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. Remember the gift is given for you to minister to other people, to one another, as good stewards. So God has given you a gift or perhaps a number of gifts for, for you to be a good steward of. You don't want to take that gift and go bury it in the ground. Like those who buried their talents in the ground, talent being money back then, but the same idea. You don't want to bury your gift in the ground. You, you want to use it. You want to give it away. You want to expend it. You, you want to be a steward of that gift. And think about being used of God is that you never are given out. You keep giving love and you never run out because God keeps resupplying it. And the same is with your giftedness. Be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And there's the word charis, grace. And so Paul, um, Peter's making a play on these words. As each one has received a charisma, grace gift, be good stewards of the grace that God has given you. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And so Peter seems to combine the gifts into two categories here, serving and speaking. Uh, another indication that the sign gifts are probably already passed away by this time, but he uses the general category of serving and speaking gifts. But he says, do it with the ability which God supplies. Rely on God's enablement. Don't ever think that if you have a gift, you no longer need the Spirit. Or, well, I have this gift and I can just... You are always dependent on the one who works all these things, the Holy Spirit. That, uh, so you do it with the ability which God supplies. That, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever Amen. So the end result of this is the glory of God. Fervently love one another. Use your gifts among each other, for each other, as God gives the ability. But it's all for the glory of God, that Jesus Christ may be praised. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that in your in your grace toward us, you not only called us to be sons and daughters, um, but as you called us into a family, you have also given us gifts whereby we can minister to each other. Um, and we pray that we would do so in such a way that indeed you would be glorified, that you would be pleased. We acknowledge our utter dependence upon you for for every task that you've given, every gift that you have uh, uh, given us to steward. And we pray that we as a church body would find um, 
more and more ways of expressing, utilizing that gift for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord bless you.